Okay, so we are in Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. <clears throat> and so when we come to Ezra chapter 8, Ezra the priest has been cleared by King Artaxerxes to take another group from Babylon back to Israel. And remember, the first, cha- first six chapters, we uh, saw Zerubbabel, who took back about 55,000, or excuse me, 50,000 um, from Babylon to uh, Israel. And remember, that was God's judgment, those 70 years of captivity uh, in Babylon. It was God's judgment for his people forsaking him, and 70 years specifically for the, you know, not observing the Sabbath for that period of time. So Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and what we've seen from the leading of Zerubbabel is they rebuilt the temple. And we saw how they um, began to worship the Lord or observe Passover, they worshiped the Lord. And so as we come to chapter 8, and as I mentioned last week, under Ezra, we're going to see him how he was led of the Lord to institute temple worship. And we're going to see how, you know, essentially how God brought revival uh, to Israel. And so chapter 8 is the record of Ezra beginning to take the next group of people, probably around 5,000 people, um, from Babylon to Israel. So... Begin in verse 1. We're going to read the first 14 verses together. Now, these are the heads of their father's households and the genealogical enrollment of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes, of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom, and the sons of Vithamar, Daniel, and the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Parash, Zechariah, and with him 150 males who were in the genealogical list of the sons of Pahath Moab, Eliah Honei, the son of Zerahiah, and 200 males with him. Of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah, the son of Jehaziel, and 300 males with him. And the sons of Adon, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and 50 males with him. And the sons of Elam, Jeshuaiah, the son of Athaliah, and seventy males with him, and the sons of Shephatiah, Zebadiah, the son of Michael, and eighty males with him, and the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the sons of Jehiel, and two hundred and eighteen males with him, and the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josiphiah, and one hundred sixty males with him, and of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebaiah, and 28 males with him, and the sons of Asgod, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and 110 males with him, and the sons of Adonikam, the last ones, these being their names, Eliaphalet, Jeul, and Shemaiah, and 60 males with them, and of the sons of Bigvai, Youthai, Zabad, and 70 males with them. Ooh, wow. 
<laughs> Praise the Lord. The Lord answers more prayer. Jane told me, now you really need to look at those names. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, I want to share something with you that will be good for anybody to listen to. There's a way that you can listen to these very simply. And that is if you have a smartphone and you have the apps to Blue Letter Bible. And you can get, get that, uh, you know, where you're at in the Bible. You click on that verse and it will take you to a place where you can listen to the pronunciation. It's so, so very helpful. And... Uh, just food for thought there. So in these first 14 verses, we see this group, if you add it all up and, and everything, it's around 5,000, or scholars say about 5,000 people. And remember, it's about a 900-mile journey from Babylon to Israel. And it's not like they would be going across I-75 or, or you know, across I-80 and up and down I-75. This was... Um, you know, desert and uh, wilderness and just not pleasant uh, t to travel. And so it wasn't going to be easy. So we come to verse four, 15. And it says, Now I, and the I is Ezra, now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahaba, where we camped for three days. And when I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. So if you can just imagine that the people are gathered, um, you know, no doubt, you know, pretty excited to be going to Israel. And um, they, you know, Ezra has them assembled there by the river. And something's missing. First of all, I think it's interesting, and I got it highlighted in my Bible or underlined, is that Ezra assembled them. He, he gathered them together. So it tells me that Ezra has a plan. He has in his mind direction from God. Um, what, what he's to do, he's got God's plan. He's got God's mission. He's going to institute temple worship. Remember, Ezra was a scholar, a scribe. He knew the law. He knew the ways of the Levitical priest, obviously, and he understands something's missing as he, as he gathers there. Um, and it's like he's, you know, assembled there to, to chew on the situation, to just take a step back. I think we can definitely read in this that uh, Ezra was praying. You know, he was seeking the Lord here. Uh, and it's interesting, um, it says for three days. And this is so vital for us that when we have, uh, you know, a big decision to make or trials in our life that we really need the Lord, sometimes we need to take a step back, you know, assemble together with other believers or uh, other brothers and sisters and, you know, you know, whether a new job or getting married or any kind of commitment um, to really look at things. And at this time, I, you know, they were probably counting the cost. You know, I don't think Ezra was sugarcoating anything. He, he was telling them, this is going to be hard. It's gonna, there's hostilities out there waiting on us, and especially traveling with all the gold 
and you know things for the temple. And so as Ezra did this, he again he stepped back, and I have no doubt the Lord give gave him a very clear revelation that there is no Levites here. And why would that be an issue? Okay, absolutely. Absolutely. So remember, uh, Aaron, the chief priest, and the Levitical priest on down, they, uh, they performed the sacrifices and the offerings and the temple worship. And so if the mission of God for Ezra to lead people you know, back in Israel into temple worship as the law said you need levitical priests to be able to do that all right i think it's something how ezra was just to the letter to obey god absolutely Absolutely, and I think that that is one of the greatest witnesses of Ezra. He was meticulous. There was no shortcuts with him. He wasn't, he wasn't out to do ministry just to do ministry. He was ministering to the Lord, and he wanted to please the Lord, and that was first and foremost. And for all of us, obedience is the most important thing. Um, so, and it's interesting to think that... Um, and I think you can parallel this with the church today. And as we've discussed things in our Ezra study, uh, you know, you, we can parallel things with what Ezra was being led to do to, you know, really be led of the Lord to bring revival. And there are some similarities of what Ezra was dealing with, what really the body of Christ today um, what we see, I guess you would say. And it's interesting to think how they had all the resources, but they were missing a vital piece of what God's plan was. And that was, um, you know, the priest. They had all the resources. They had the blessings of the king to go back, but they did not have the men to lead the worship. And I think when you look today, um, you know, the body of Christ is, we have the resources. And this is something that's interesting. Even, you know, I think it, uh, it's relevant to us in that, you know, when, when Calvary Chapel or Calvary Christian Fellowship started, you know, 21 years ago, um, things were a little bit different in that, you know, we were grounded in the Word of God, it was all about getting the word out. And I've heard even uh, senior guys in the Calvary Chapel movement, back when Chuck taught, it was all about going to church and getting the word of God. And so people flock to church. But you fast forward today, we have everything at our fingertips to, be, to, to hear whomever we want to hear teach the word of God and to be fed. Back then... The feeding came while you sat and you listened. Now we can be fed by, you know, there's never a time we can't be fed. 
right? And so I think that's a challenge. It, Jim can't. That's why he's here. But, you know, just thinking about our own situation here, back in 2015, um, we started an Internet radio ministry. And it was, it was good, but in a very short amount of time, we really did observe that it wasn't being fruitful because of technology. By the time we got everything set up, technology passed over the internet radio ministry. You see, because if we, if we put Greg Laurie in at 10 o'clock in the morning on a weekday, I, I could listen to Greg Laurie anytime I wanted to. It didn't have to be at 10 o'clock in the morning. I have a Bible app or Billy Graham, whomever, right? So th- technology's played a part, I believe, in, in some ways that, you know, has twisted things in the body of Christ. But when you go back, as Millie said, Ezra, he was so meticulous in following God's, God's way. And sometimes we miss out on that. Um, and also, just in the days we're living in, we're busy. Um, 24 hours isn't enough time for us in, on most days, Right? And so we, we cram things in instead of just sitting back and you guys have been so faithful to come to this Bible study, right? So I, I think it does. But maybe, you know, maybe too, you know, uh, Jesus said, don't forsake assembling yourselves together. Maybe you looked ahead in time because sometimes we don't see how important it is to be with others. Absolutely. We need to be together. We need to always be circling the wagons and being together. And just like Sunday night, what a wonderful move of God. And uh, I know I'll have, I'll have people, I'm, you know, I'm certainly not going to condemn anybody for not being here. We had a great crowd here. Um, but I, I'm going to hear, I know who they're going to be. I, I wish I, I should have been there. What do you say? Well, yeah, that's... <laughs> I wasn't talking to you, Peg. I know what you'd say. No. <laughs> Next time. Yeah, just come. Come. and Be filled up. Be, you know, be touched up by the Lord. And, uh, you know, obviously everybody can't be at the church every time the doors are open. But Sunday was special. It was very special. It's the Holy Spirit, as we believe, really fell. And the Lord did healings. And it was just good. And the Lord got all the glory. No, it was not planned. Incredible. So getting back to our study then. So when I read this, I'm like, well, where are the Levites then? Where are they? You know, well, they were still in Babylon, which is interesting. And remember, you know, it's been 90 some years or whatever since the captivity began. It's been longer than that in Babylon. And so the priest, the Levitical, Levitical priest, some of them, a lot of them never seen Jerusalem, never seen the temple, and we talked about that before, so there was not going to be that urgency to go back. And maybe some of them obviously had gone in the first round. But here among this crowd, a group of people that Ezra was taking back, there's no Levitical priest. And so um, 
and we talked about it a little bit last week, they were no doubt comfortable. They were comfortable back in Babylon. They, you know, they had, uh, they had it made. You know, God told them that they would prosper in Babylon. Don't fight against King Nebuchadnezzar. Go there. Go with it. And the Lord was going to be with them. He was going to deliver them. So there was a sense of no doubt they were comfortable. And man, that's a, that's a word that is relevant to the body of Christ today. We get comfortable. We get comfortable. So we can say then, perhaps some of the Levites, well, if not all of them, they weren't answering the call of God. What did God want to do? He wanted to bring revival in Jerusalem. He wanted that temple worship to be done as he has prescribed in his word. And that the Levitical priests weren't there to, you know, to do ministry. How was it going to, to happen? And when you think about, well, if we're comfortable, you know, you know, we're doing ministry in Babylon. Well, that wasn't working out so well, right? He had a few faithful, Daniel and, and others, but they were in the midst of a pagan culture. And it's, it's interesting when, when you think about, you know, I've witnessed people that I believe and seen that they had a calling, but they would not leave, leave the comfort. And it kind of reminds me back when I was called to pastor, you know, I was comfortable. I'd just gotten a new job much better paying job that I had before. You know, had a great future in that. And the Lord just snatched me out of that so fast. And, but we did count the cost. We knew that it was going to cost something. We knew we were not going to have the life that we thought we would be able to live. It wouldn't be following the American dream. And so um, for some, it probably didn't make sense. I know my family... This doesn't make any sense for you to do this. You just got this job. It's in a union shop. You're guaranteed work, blah, 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 blah. It just doesn't make sense. And uh, on a horizontal level, it didn't make any sense. It was the goofiest thing, really, when you think about how it all transpired. Um, that got me thinking then a little bit about... Uh, Going and doing God's will when it doesn't make sense, i.e. answering the call. There's an interesting story in the book of Acts, if you want to turn there, in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. You remember Philip? Philip was a faithful servant of the Lord. He was, uh, back in uh, Acts chapter 6, he was one of the first deacons, one of the first servants anointed by God, anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 8, amazing thing was going on. If you turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them, and that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them, 
they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, then they began laying their hands on them and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay? So, God was doing amazing work, as we know all throughout the book of Acts and the early church. Just uh, It's wonderful to read what God did at that time. You know, Jesus went to the cross. He resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit came. And you talk about change. The gospel was preached. The gospel went forward. The message of God's love and that man should repent of his sin. And people repented. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they followed the Lord. But here's this Philip. He's, he was in Samaria there. And you look at verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But this is interesting. So you see, you see the Lord working in such a way, the Holy Spirit was falling on people. They were filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, following the Lord, the gospel going forward. Then in verse 26 it says, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now you know the rest of the story, right? One more verse then. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. So Philip, in the midst of a revival, a work of the Spirit of God where people were rejoicing, they were giving God glory. Who would, who would want to leave that? But then Philip here, the Holy Spirit tells him, you need to go. Because I have a mission for you. I have a call on your life. And he went, and we know what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch. The dude got saved. Remember, he was reading Isaiah 53 and trying. I just picture him being frustrated. Who is this talking about? And then there's the man God sent, Philip. And because Philip was obedient, this man got saved. Or it's part of it, we'll put it that way. God can, God can work without man, but God chooses and wants to bless man to partner with him. It's fascinating how God, it's amazing that God allows us and trusts us with the gospel message to bring it to people and to build them up in the faith by sharing the word and praying with them. He lets us do that. I've seen uh, Billy Graham in a, I used to get this magazine and uh, he was at a big crusade in uh, Denmark. I can't remember the city. But anyways, uh, he had this big crusade but then it showed a picture of him he was out on the street talking to one guy sitting on a Sitting down on the sidewalk and telling about Jesus. Mm. From a big crusade, hundreds of thousands to one person. It's amazing. <laughs> I got blessed when I seen that. Amen. He was willing to do that. Amen. Like you said, you know, it's God's ministry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you remember that when St. Castrillo was starting out talking about one to the other? They, were, they played at East School, see mm -hmm. at the pole. And then that weekend, we had tickets to see Third Day, and they were with Third Day. Yeah. And they knew that, but they were willing to go to East Elementary School yeah. for a bunch of kids for C.F. Paul. I just thought yeah. God bless their obedience. Absolutely.
Absolutely. God will always bless obedience. But, in, you know, what, what, um, what Philip had to have was an eternal perspective. If his perspective was just what I call a horizontal perspective instead of vertical perspective, he would have never left Samaria. Why? For goodness sakes, my name's in Acts chapter 6. I was a faithful servant, Holy Spirit led. Why would I want to leave this place? I've, I got, I'll, I'll be comfortable. I would imagine he, he was led down there to have that revival. And then he was led to one person. Absolutely. He was led by the Spirit of God. Amen to that. So when we, you know, just not being tied to the things of the world, and you go back to the Levites then, as there was none, we read verse 16. And also, it's interesting, um, we camp for three days. I think, I think back to Joshua. You know, they were, they were camped by the Jordan River for three days. And, and the Lord, you know, he, he shared, make provisions for we leave in three days. Again, the same mindset. We need to get our minds right. We need to observe. And sometimes we have to do that. Just step back from things and just observe. And that's what he did here. He didn't see any Levites. Then verse 16, it says, So I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shem, Aiah, El Nathan, Jerob, another El Nathan, Nathan, Zechariah, Meshulam, leading men, and for Joe Arab and El Nathan, teachers. I sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place of Casaphiah, and I told them what to say to Ido and his brothers, the temple servants at the place of Casaphiah, that is, to bring ministers to us for the house of our God, according to the good hand of our God upon us, that they brought us a man of inside of the sons of Mehalai, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah and Jeshiah and the sons of Merari, with his brothers and their sons, 200 men, or excuse me, 20 men, and 220 of the temple servants whom David and the princes had given for the service of the Levites, all of them designated by name. So, you know, there's a time to pray, and then there's a time to go, to move, to act. And we see that with Ezra. After camping there for three days, seeing clearly there were no Levites, he sends back for the Levites. He sends back to uh, these men, these leading men, um, to come and take part and leading the temple worship. And it speaks to me in that I'm, I'm, I'm a person who waits and maybe wait too much. I'm not one to nudge people or to kick them in the rear end, as some might say, you know, to get them to serve the Lord. I'll pray for people. But sometimes I think we need to be a little bit more nudging to people to get involved, to serve the Lord. Um, here we see Ezra, he's calling them. Again, the leading men and teachers needed to perform the duties within the temple to lead the people in worship. And you think about it today, we need men and women who can teach the word. 
within the body of Christ. It's not just for us to take in the Bible and, and call it good. You know, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And part of discipling is being able to share the word with other men and other women and children. You know, that's part of being a disciple. We should be really, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we disciple people and make them disciple makers. And it's like a snowball. And so Ezra, they end up finding um, some guys here. And I love how Ezra put there in verse 18, according to the good hand of God upon us. Of course, we heard that last week, didn't we? That was the testimony of Ezra. The good hand of God was upon him. We pick up in verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for us, our little ones, and all our possessions. For I was ashamed the request from the king, troops, and horsemen to protect us from the enemy on the way, because we had said to the king, The hand of our God is favorably disposed to all those who seek him, but his power and his anger are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and he listened to our entreaty. So Ezra proclaimed a fast. And it says that we might humble ourselves. And, you know, proclaiming a fast, fasting, certainly puts us on that road of humbleness. We're, we're honoring God when we fast, whether it be, you know, fasting from food, fasting from TV, whatever it might be. Um, fasting is a wonderful way to acknowledge God in your life and not doing it out of, you know, some kind of willpower. Well, I'm not going to eat for two days because I'll, I'll show my strength to the Lord. That's not a biblical fast. <laughs> That's prideful is what that is. Mine says afflict instead of humble. Afflict? Okay. So essentially a fast, when you fast, you're placing yourself totally under the authority of God. And you're, you know, it's, it's humility. I don't think that the word afflict there means that we're going to afflict, you know, starvation on ourselves. Uh, or you know some kind of torture because I don't watch the Buckeyes for two weeks or anything like that would be torture by the way but uh, <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh, but so yeah in Isaiah 58 uh, God just pours his heart out on what fasting is it's not based on religious duty it's not you know the sacrifice and offering a biblical fast a godly fast is that we place ourselves under you know, under the Lord, and we seek his direction. And that's what we see here for uh, Ezra. You really capture Ezra's reverence for God, a holy fear. It's interesting, as, as we talked about, you know, he didn't want to, uh, you know, brag about God. You know, God's leading this, Artaxerxes. God's leading us to do this, and we have your blessing, and Artaxerxes, you know, gave him his blessing. And then, oh, by the way, 
we need 50,000 troops to lead us, you know, because we don't know if God's going to show up. Now, I got a question for you. Would it have been wrong or ungodly of Ezra to ask of the king for protection? Interesting question, isn't it? I don't think it would have been wrong for him to ask it, but I think it would have been showing the king that they didn't really trust God, the Almighty God that they believed in. You know, it seemed to me like it would it kind of been a reproach to their faith. Maybe I don't know. Mm-hmm. What's the answer? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I don't really have the answer. I do know this. It's implied in Nehemiah that Nehemiah you know, requested. Okay. All right. And Nehemiah was a man of God. Yeah. If you put your faith in God, maybe God might tell you that it might be a good idea. Okay, that's a good answer. I like that. You know, it's oftentimes said that um, from, from praise the Lord, hallelujah. You got it, brother. So, it, you know, um, sometimes we can over-spiritualize things. Would you agree with that? I mean, like going to Walmart and, and, you know, stewing over, do I eat raisin or do I get raisin bran or Captain Crunch? I can't, Lord, you gotta, you got to speak to me here. Now, I'm telling you, you've heard me say it. If you ask God, he might. Don't, he might answer you in that. I've seen God, <laughs> we've seen things in Walmart. I'll tell you to get Wheaties. Huh? Get Wheaties? <laughs> But no, I've had some awesome, uh, you know, encounters with the Lord at Walmart with people. Absolutely. But so, Ezra was really wanting to trust the Lord. And it's out of holy reverence to him and trust that, you know, we didn't, he didn't want to give any, any, any lack of faith or anything that would bring God down from a high standing to Artaxerxes. So he doesn't ask, but he, he proclaims a fast. And I think that was wonderful. I, I think back to August of this year when we proclaimed uh, a month of praying. And the theme of that praying in August was, God, do what you only can do. And there's, I'm telling you, it's still in my, in my life results from that time of praying together as a church and fasting. I fasted for a whole week, give glory to God. It was wonderful, the best fast I ever had. And, uh, you know, God spoke to my heart and our hearts and for direction. And this is what Ezra is wanting. He's wanting direction from God and fasting. If you need direction in your life, Fasting is a way to help get you focused. It helps us get in tune with the Lord. Lord, what do you want? I need to hear from you, Lord. And, and then to, you know, it isn't so much going without food as it is those times that um, when you eat, uh, you, you spend time with the Lord. Or as you, um, 
you know, when you, when you go without food, you get hungry, right? Does anybody get hungry during a fast? For me, it's like five minutes after I start. It's, it, it's horrible. I could go without eating. I could go without eating for some stupid reason, you know, but if I fast and do it in the name of the Lord, it's like five minutes. I, I don't know if I can make it. You know, I'm hungry. <laughs> yeah, where's the, where's the snacks at? You know. But the Lord is so faithful, and he meets with us, and as we surrender to him, he's able to speak to us. We have our hearts open, and we receive that revelation, that direction that we need. And this is what's happening with Ezra and all those that were there with him. It's a sacrifice, isn't it? Yeah, it's a sacrifice, absolutely. And... uh, I think of, I think of um, back to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, we see uh, a great example of fasting that is so relevant for us. Uh, pick up in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then they, when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. And so here we had just, again, a, a work of the Holy Spirit in the midst of them ministering to the Lord. Sometimes we forget that in church, don't we? We want to be blessed by the Lord. And our first thought should be, Lord, we want to bless you. But here they were fasting. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting. We can, we can have prayer time and fasting time as individuals, right? And then there's time when we do it together, all for seeking direction. And when we come together and pray, like Sunday night, it was just so powerful. There, you know, the Holy Spirit, we keep bringing that up, the Holy Spirit was present when we was all in one accord. We were asking God to do the healing and for God to be glorified. We used oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit worked in hearts. People had to make a step of faith to step up and ask for prayer. And I know many that, that did. That's, they were out of their comfort zone. It's interesting going back to the comfort. When we step out of our comfort zone, the Lord, the Lord will meet us. Now, just because some, somebody might not have went forward, they could be healed sitting in the pew. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, you know, coming up front to be touched with the oil for God to do that in a public setting. You know, nor can we start doing this every other Thursday night and do it the same way. Because you know what would happen? And this is what happens. Elmer, right? 
all of a sudden we're, gonna, we're going to be the Holy Spirit. We're going to be telling people to get out of the pews, get up there so we can holy form them in the head and heal them. It was just a work of the Lord. And when the Lord leads us, we'll have another one. We definitely need to have more prayer time. We're looking forward to that. And just see what God will do. See what God will do. So, also here, we, we see that, you know, anytime a man or a woman, when they're in tune with God, God is going to show them clearly things, as John pointed out. Uh, for, for Ezra, the Lord, the Lord showed him, you know, or revealed to him that this was not going to be an easy trip to go 900 miles. You know, they probably heard some stories from the first group that went back. But they had a large number of people, 50,000. This group's only 5,000. And, as we'll read, they had some goods with them. So, verse 20, or, yeah, verse 23. So we fasted and sought our God concerning this matter, and, and he listened to our entreaty. I love that. He heard us. He listened. How did he know that the Lord listened? How do you know the Lord hears you? Okay, you receive peace? Absolutely. Well, you see the answer to your prayer. Okay, you see the answer to your prayer? Absolutely. And perhaps here at this particular time after the, you know, the assembling together and they don't see the Levites, what are we going to do? There was probably a little bit of anxiety with the people as Ezra probably told some, hey, we're, we got to get some Levites here. And you could just hear, this isn't of the Lord. We're going back to Institute Temple Worship. We don't have any Levites. <sighs> Cult, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so they saw that good hand of the Lord with these men, leading men and teachers, and they had a bunch of other people, and then they fasted and prayed, and instead of being afraid or ashamed, asking help for, uh, from the king, there's a peace. There's strength. There's a knowing without doubt. Fear is gone. And they know it's the Lord. There's something else in you know, these people wasn't hassling them like they did Moses. What's that again? It wasn't, it wasn't hassling. Oh, yes. Like Moses, you know, every, they was constantly stiff. That, that whole thing had humbled them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. They were really humble. As I read it, they was humbled. And yes, mm -hmm. we'll do whatever, you know. They sure. They say to him, were there not enough graves in Babylon? Yeah. Did you raise out here? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah they wasn't, they wasn't on this case about nothing. That's a good point. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But, yeah, when, when you know the Lord hears your prayer and He works in a way that He shows you, even though your circumstances might change, there's the peace knowing that God is with you. There's a peace knowing that He's working on our behalf. He's allowing us to partner with him to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. 
So much peace. And then it says in verse 24, Then I set apart twelve of the leading priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and with them ten of their brothers. And I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the utensils, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel present there had offered. Thus I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver utensils worth 100 talents and 100 gold talents and 20 gold bowls worth 1,000 derricks and two utensils of fine shiny bronze, precious as gold. Then I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the utensils are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord God of our father, of your fathers. Watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leading priest, the Levites, and the heads of the fathers' households of the Israel at Jerusalem, and the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites accepted the weighted out silver and gold and the utensils to bring them to Jerusalem to the house of our God. Then we journeyed from the river Ahava on the twelfth of the first month to go to Jerusalem, and the hand of our God was over us. And he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. Thus we came to Jerusalem and remained there three days. On the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the utensils were weighed out in the house of our God in the hand of Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the priest, and with him was Eleazar, the son of Phinehas, and with them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Yeshua, Noadiah, the son of Ben-Nui. Everything was numbered and weighed, and all the weight was recorded at that time. And the exiles who had come from the captivity offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 lambs, 12 male goats for a sin offering, all as a burnt offering to the Lord. Then they delivered the king's edicts to the edicts to the king's satraps and to the governors in the provinces beyond the river, and they supported the people and the house of God. Now, a couple things stick out to me just reading that, in that why did they distribute the gold and the silver and the utensils between all the different priests? Why do you think that was? He divided, Ezra divided the wealth up to, with all the people. Any guesses? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I better sit down. <laughs> Yeah, on the on the journey uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem. I guess so. Maybe if you got robbed, then you wouldn't get it all. That's right. I believe that absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting too that Ezra mentions you know they they had ambushes against him, but he doesn't focus on it. Hmm. He goes on to tell what God did, and it's interesting to to distribute. Among all of them, I think that was part of God's revelation as they fasted for direction to remove that fear. What are we going to do with... Uh, there's going to be people trying to rob us. The Lord, the Lord 
gave them that direction. And the Lord is so much into the details. And when we listen to those details, and we, you know, he makes us wise. He gives us understanding. And it's interesting again that he delivered us from the, it's the Lord, he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and the ambushes by the way. We'll, talk, we'll get going on spiritual warfare here in the next couple of weeks on Sunday mornings. But it's just interesting, Ezra didn't focus on those ambushes. You know, he could have said, well, you know, there's a band of these people, and when we was here at this land, we got ambushed by these people, and the enemy was right there. But he didn't. He just said, and the Lord delivered us from the ambushes. God. He's trusting God, absolutely. So again, we see the peace that God gave uh, to all of them, you know, Ezra and, and all the priests and all the people as they went um, forward. So, well, we'll stop there. Anybody else have any insight on uh, Ezra chapter 8? I think it's interesting what Elmer said about how the contrast between them and the people coming out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. The, the different attitude and everything. I mean, it's amazing. I thought I never thought of that before. It's quite a contrast. Sure, and I'm sure there was. You know, you had five thousand people uh, somewhere along the line. They had to be some smelly sheep. <laughs> you know, but 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 not like what Moses had to deal with leaving Egypt. I mean, my goodness. Um, of course, it was a mixed multitude. They weren't all, they weren't all believer, you know, believers. So. Of course, they've been, what, in, uh, 400 and something 400 years. years, yes. Verse 7, that might make a difference, too, in their mm-hmm. attitude. Well, there's a message in that mixed multitude. Wow. <laughs> it was hitting me when you said that, thinking, I can make all kinds of stuff there. So oh, yes. It, yeah, and it's isn't it one of the greatest witnesses of the existence of God is Israel, the people and the land? I mean, how do you describe it? Well, you know how the world describes it, you know, them filthy people, They're Jews. Huh? The yeah, they occupy this land. I, where do they ever get the notion that this is their land? Well, let's see. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. And we'll see clearly that it's their land. Yeah. Um, it, and, you know, I was reading something the other day, and I got it highlighted in my devotional Bible. But and speaking of what Millie said, you know, of all that the Jews have gone through in life, you know, we're we're witnessing or we're studying how God delivered His people from Babylon exactly how he said he was going to. 70 years is 70 years. Captivity will be over. But keep in mind, 
God prophesied, or he gave to his prophets, that he was going to use King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to come and destroy his people. He, those, could you imagine hearing those words? Well, they did hear them, and most of them said this isn't happening. But then even before, or even after, before and after, God speaks to Jeremiah. And he tells tell the people, I'm going to destroy King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And he says, and it's in Jeremiah uh, 52, I think. It, it, we'll have to look. We don't have time now. But um, God basically says, and I'll paraphrase, I'm going to save my people even though they don't deserve it. <laughs> grace, grace, grace upon grace and mercy. Isn't that amazing? So even in Israel, even Israel is such a great example for God and his existence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when I read that verse the other day, it brought up uh, an encounter that Jim had with, Jim McMurray had with a man several years ago at a youth conference. They had, it was just a wonderful conference. There was ministry going on. And we, we left that place Friday night. Hey, we need to really pray. We need to go back to leadership. We need to pray about supporting these, this ministry because they're doing a lot for kids. And, uh, well, the next day, Jim has a little conversation with the ministry leader. And they got to talking about the Jews. And the guy said, basically, that the Jews were no longer... God's chosen people. And of course, Jim, being rooted in the word of God, could not let that one slide. And he asked, why? Why do you think that? They forsook the Lord. We all forsake the Lord. But, but God, and, and Jim told him that, well, we sin. God said in his word, that he was going to restore Israel. He did. And then you fast forward now, right? God said he would bring them in to be a nation. Guess what happened in May of 1948? You talked about Israel now prospering, prospering, prospering. It's incredible. Even while the whole world hates them. You know, that little place in the Middle East, little blip on the map. God's word says a cup of trembling. And uh, so then you fast forward it, right? Orthodox Jews, they still forsake the Messiah. But there's coming a time when we read it in the book of Revelation and it's foretold in the prophets of the Old Testament of the wonderful thing that happens when the Messiah comes again. They will recognize who Jesus Christ is. Man, that gives me goosebumps because it all points to God's love. And it's the same God who loves Israel that way. He's the same God that loves you and I that way. He will, he's done everything he could for us, but he'd do it again over and over and over again. Praise God. We don't have to have the sacrifice of Jesus over once. And it's done. God is faithful. Amen. That, and that's the whole story, isn't it? That we're seeing in Ezra. This God is faithful to his people. No matter what. <laughs> yeah, he's not restoring them because they deserved it. Right. One place it says something about for his name.
For his namesake. For his glory. Absolutely. Of course, there's always a remnant of them that are faithful. Mm -hmm. And I think that saves them too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, Father, we thank you for your word once again tonight, Lord. And, oh, Lord, we can't wait till we get into Ezra 9 and 10, Lord, just to see how you worked in your people's lives. And, Lord, you want to do that same work in the body of Christ today. You want to build us up, to have us focused on you, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to go forth and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. And Lord, we pray just for your Holy Spirit to continue to guide us, to strengthen us. Lord, we want to be people who minister to you, to have that mindset. We want to be pleasing to you. And Lord, just again, fill us even more with you, Lord, that will give you all the glory. Lord, I pray that you bless the folks here tonight, Lord. Just thank, thankful for them, Lord, and their insights of how they read your word and, and, and pray and uh, Lord, we, we pray that even if it be your will, that you would lead us to be a people who fast together. Lord, seeking the direction for our lives and for our church. Lord, because we want to do your will. We love you, Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.